Welcome to the show, and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters, as we explore everything from Space Kraken to Giant Sandworms. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad-free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash and use my code IsaacArthur. This episode is sponsored by Skillshare. To quote Douglas Adams, I may not have gone where I intended to go, but I think I have ended up where I needed to be. When it comes to traveling the galaxy in the future, this might be the normal order of business. This episode will be coming out a few days before Douglas Adams' birthday, the late great author of the famous Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and also our Book of the Month, or series for the month, as we'll be discussing his works throughout March. I don't think there's any series I've read, or rather reread and listened to, as much as The Hitchhiker's Guide, and it's a great example of how humor and satire in science fiction often get more bits right than even very sober and hard science fiction works. As we're going to see today, there's a decent chance that in the future, if you want to travel to other worlds, you're likely to have to hitchhike to get there. We've a lot of concepts to cover, so you might want to grab a drink, a snack, and a towel. This topic had a bit of a strange birth. Someone was asking if I discuss Amuamua, that peculiar asteroid from another solar system that's been in the news a lot this last year. That's a fairly common request, and I've always declined because we don't really do focused astronomy or current events here, there are a lot of other great channels that have discussed it. We might give it a detailed discussion down the road if Project Lyra or some equivalent does get launched to check Amuamua out more closely. Of course the interest is mostly in me discussing it as a possible spaceship, but channel regulars already know what I'm going to say, that it isn't one. But it's stuck in my head because we were discussing panspermia recently, the notion that life might originate out in space and land here and there's the option that it could travel the galaxy by hitchhiking on board asteroids like Amuamua. These things kind of meander around the galaxy, and it's inevitable someone would wonder if we might hitchhike on them too. Now, unfortunately, they move way too slow to be viable, we can already design better interstellar ships than that. You also don't hollow out an asteroid to make a ship, you smelt it down and make it a bigger, better, and task-designed ship instead. Same as you can hollow out a tree as a canoe, but would do better to cut it up for lumber to make a real ship. But such an asteroid might be a way for someone to send a time capsule to a distant place or even freeze themselves and hide inside it if they got abandoned in some distant, empty place where no ship would be likely to pass by, and who can't really stop to pick you up anyway. This got me thinking about how most people would actually go about traveling in the distant future, and I realize that we almost always discuss interstellar spaceships either in a colonial or military capacity. We don't too often discuss regular people just getting on board a ship to visit a distant star system that's already colonized with a big and ancient civilization already established there. And partially it's because you might not see too many journeys of that sort. To quote Adams again, space is big, really big. You just won't believe how vastly, hugely, mind-bogglingly big it is. If you want to get anywhere in a sane timeline, you need to go fast, and as fast as you can go safely and afford in terms of fuel. 
because while speed costs, so does time. Even if you don't care about how long it takes to arrive, perhaps because you're frozen, lots of stuff can break, and even an automated repair system is going to be expending material during the trip, so you go fast. Now when we talk about traveling between stars here on SFIA, we usually are talking about giant colony ships, which can expend any amount of energy they need to arrive because any given star system is constantly evaporating away far more mass and energy than even a very big ship would expend getting there. They can easily send back a repayment of those resources many times over again using the slow, cheap way since their home solar system will have huge supplies that they might want replenished but would be in no rush to receive them. This, rather than a post-scarcity economy, is the excuse for giant and fast ships. Uninhabited star systems are not just storing, but losing, vast amounts of potential resources every second they are left uninhabited. Your typical star blows through more energy every second than it would take to run our entire planetary economy for millennia. That's wasted energy, sacrificed entropy, and the eternal void. Such spacefaring civilizations are likely to be unbelievably wealthy, to us, but they're not without scarcity. They have a finite amount of matter and energy to work with, an ever-dwindling pool, and they will know exactly how much of each it takes to support a person. The energy budgets needed to move someone to another solar system are millions of times what it would take to support them for a year. I want to emphasize, they probably do have the resources, but they might be kinda touchy about people engaging in really exorbitant expenditures. That doesn't matter for colony ships because again, they do have those resources and they are spending them essentially as an investment. So while I doubt many places would actually ban recreational travel between stars, it's fairly likely in many places it would carry a bit of a pariah status, like if some restaurant tried to use books or currency to fuel their grills. That's legal but it's not some place you want to be taking a grinning selfie and posting to your Facebook. Everything's relative, but wasteful behavior is rarely encouraged and ultra-wasteful behavior isn't likely to be encouraged. It's hard to guess on a future civilization of course, they might be obsessed with efficiency or indifferent to massive wasteful expenditures or simply not view recreational travel that way. As one example, folks leaving a system represent a serious legal pain for any properties they leave behind, as those essentially go into limbo for decades or centuries, so they might have a rule that if you immigrate you have to transfer or liquidate those. Similarly, it makes something like an absentee ballot for an election, or a consulate for dealing with citizens who get into trouble light years away, virtually impossible, since your home country might not even exist when you arrive. So they might restrict two-way trips that are seen as recreational just to encourage folks to formally immigrate and avoid light-like-induced bureaucratic nightmares. However, while I'm spoiling everyone's childhood dreams of traveling the stars, I should note that there's another, even bigger reason this might get discouraged or banned. There is no such thing as an unarmed spaceship, especially an interstellar one, as even a fairly modest-sized personal one is basically a giant nuclear arsenal. Even a single ship no bigger than a truck, moving at 95% of light speed, 
carries several thousand megaton nukes worth of energy, so civilizations might be very touchy about privately owned starships. That's another reason why bigger is better for ships too, it's a lot easier to track, regulate, and blow up a handful of larger ships with a vetted and licensed crew than millions of tiny ones. You might be able to easily purchase your own personal spaceship in the future, but they might not let you fly it anywhere near another solar system. Attached to that, as long as light speed limits us, interstellar empires would at best be loose confederacies of a handful of systems, not sprawling galactic ones. Odds are very good even individual solar systems would be broken into hundreds if not millions of nations. Each system is likely to have its own specific regulations on entering, especially at relativistic speeds, and have all sorts of security and customs issues that differ from neighboring systems. Again, giant ships have an edge here, especially ones that tend to have a circuit they run, and would be hard to charter just to make a flight of potentially many centuries to the destination of your choosing. Even if we assume most systems have ultra-efficient laser highway systems to their neighbors, this merely reduces rather than eliminates these problems, and such highways are more likely to be akin to railroads, for big equipment where controlled ships shuttle down, not lots of tiny personal ships. All of which starts adding up to a picture that says visiting other populated systems is something you either do on a great big passenger liner where you're probably frozen for the duration and might be waiting months for the next flight, maybe frozen in a warehouse, or you're doing it by hitching a ride on a ship that doesn't specialize in passenger movement and is not going all that far. You aren't traveling from here to Ursa Minor in one stop, not the way a dedicated colony ship might, you're jumping from star to star, zigzagging your way out, probably spending months or even years kicking around that system before a ship comes by that's headed the right way and will let you hitch a ride or buy a ticket or walk your way out, more like a sparse hub and spoke system like the airlines use, just with more and longer layovers and very few flights. And you probably won't buy a ticket either, commerce and currency between stars is not likely to handle small transactions too well, with each destination quite possibly using a different local currency and with decades of delay on any banking transaction. Consider the practical problems too, if you're some company who owns a bunch of freighters, you probably have those insured and do not want the liability issues involved from one lone random stranger on your ship sightseeing the galaxy, not on your ship potentially carrying megatons of ultra-valuable goods around. Another reason why freezing passengers might be the norm, I suspect almost every ship would have a lot of passengers on board, but they might be rather unofficial cargo. Hard to say of course, some place like Earth, or the Sol system anyway, all Dyson swarmed up at the center of an emerging galactic sprawl, might easily have millions of giant spaceships carrying trillions of people in and out of the system every single day, with easy to book travel to all neighboring systems out to a hundred light years, while another region might be inhabited by various fairly hostile and xenophobic civilizations, and that can change quick too. Remember voyages to even your closest neighbors might be decades long, a lot can change in that time, 
a utopian democracy might have switched into a genocidal dictatorship or vice versa since you booked passage there. They might not have some nice cheap efficient laser highway to their neighbors either, or be confiscating any ships that arrived for seizure. And if you are planning to cross the whole galaxy, you're talking about potentially spending a million years jumping from system to system thousands of times, needing to book new passage each time, needing to scope out your next couple destinations and gamble against the most recent information from them. Let's imagine for the moment you were on the crew of one of the Gardner ships we sometimes discuss on the channel, great big generation ships that pop from world to world moving ever further from Earth, settling each one in turn. Let's say you traveled with them all the way out to the Galactic Rim, we'll even use our example from intergalactic colonization, the ship Unity, that had arrived in the Terminus system and was prepping for the big journey to Andromeda. You've decided to go home, all the way back to Earth, 30,000 light years away, and as I recall from the episode, a place you'd left 200,000 years ago, with thousands of colonies set up along the way. Now you're ready to head home. There's a fantasy series called The Black Company by Glenn Cook, very good series by the way, about this mercenary company that's been around for centuries and keeps records, the annals, of its members and exploits. Since they usually are not very popular for a couple generations in any area they've been working at, they tend to drift over time to new spots and had wandered a very long way from their origins, which have descended into myth and legend. At one point in the series they decide to go home, but all they've got is a name, for a place that's on a continent they don't even have maps for, sort of like trying to travel down to Cape Horn from Norway in the 10th century. No maps, cities along the way changing names or getting moved or destroyed, and languages changing too. So they decide just to backtrack, figuring at each stop along the way they'd have a better chance of pinning down their next destination from a combination of their own annals and local history. Needless to say, they often don't get a terribly warm reception at most of their destinations, they all called the Black Company for a reason, though at one place they're regarded as neo-mythological founders or heroes too. Our hitchhiker coming from the Terminus system has things a bit easier, he is very likely to be regarded as a heroic founder and records ought to be better. Early on at least, there ought to be people who still remember him even, we are obviously assuming a lot of life extension options for this trip, though alternatively he might have made his trips on ice or be a descendant of the original colonists too, quite possibly all three, but we'll assume this particular traveler actually left Earth personally and has been awake most or all of the time. These were colonies, bare bones places when he left, so even the newest ones he first reaches are going to be quite changed, but after the first few dozen stops, he might find they've entirely renamed worlds as they've shifted from a handful of small villages on a mostly empty and barren planet to sprawling eucumenopolises or interplanetary nations. He makes one stop and finds out that locally, after a rough patch settling in, the colonial government had blamed his ship for their hard times by not giving them enough support setting up and he's not greeted as a fun news item but like a criminal or villain returning to the scene of the crime. He might decide he's better off detouring off that direct route, but he's likely to keep returning to it for nostalgia. 
even if he sometimes has to bypass places that have toned nasty. Every time he stops he gets big updates on what's going on, and all the changes. He probably needs some sort of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and it's probably about as reliable and thorough as reviews of resorts and travel destinations are nowadays, full of tons of old and outdated entries on tangential stuff, rants about customer service, complaints about how the local customs officials confiscated their contraband, and reviews about bars and restaurants that closed down centuries before you arrived. Even for those first few destinations, it would be like someone who lived in Constantinople jumping to Cromwell-era London, then over to Colonial America, then back to Victorian-era London, then to modern Istanbul. And that's only going to get worse with each progressive step. I suspect he'd opt to travel with circuit freighter crews, volunteering his skills and experience, and staying awake just so he could be getting live updates as they approached each new system and have folks to interact with who were used to this sort of leapfrogging through time and space. In that regard, it would be very easy to imagine a lot of subcultures emerging around these sorts of space crews, probably nothing even vaguely homogenous across a whole galaxy, but with decently standardized customs and behaviors, at least in each local pocket. They would be very likely to have some currency the various captains all agree to use among each other, even if just to rendezvous outside a system and exchange goods to avoid tariffs, something like quality liquors or other barter items. They would be very likely to favor travelers who'd been on ships a lot and be more open to having them hitch a ride if they couldn't pay, since any time one of them left their ship they'd be stranded way out away from their home too. They probably would have some sort of guidebook or wiki they all maintain separately and shared around so as to avoid each system whitewashing its own entries. And it is very unlikely our Traveler can pay, I mean even assuming he's been drawing some salary from Earth for all those thousands of years, which seems very unlikely, there's just not likely to be any sort of standardized currency, and even some agreed on interstellar trade currency is likely to only exist in a small region of space. You'd probably be swapping currencies at every destination, taking a hit on each, and maybe gambling on wiring it ahead to your next destination at light speed, to some bank, hoping it will receive it and guard it and add compound interest onto it. How many times can you do that before something goes dreadfully wrong, like the bank goes under or gets embezzled, or the planet it is on gets bombed? Or you just stop using money. Many folks figure we'd live in a moneyless society in the future, which might be quite a utopia, or not, but even if it is, it might be rather inconvenient for you, since that presumably means you need to get authorized for your next trip, and space travel is never going to be casually cheap. That system might be super rich but very frugal, wanting to save all its resources to allow more people to live in comfort for more time and frown on what they might view as horrendously extravagant travel. It's not very likely you could carry some sort of commodity currency with you either, even assuming there was something universally valuable and compact and consistent in value. You've got information, but that's the fastest and easiest thing to ship around the stars, it moves at light speed and will always arrive ahead of you, making yours old and outdated when you arrive. The good news is that it's probably a very prosperous galaxy all around, 
you're not likely to show up any place where folks are starving and eating rats, though you might wander into some place that's turned into a dystopian wasteland. Odds are the ship, which will be picking signals up as it approaches, won't stop there anyway if that's the case. So whatever the current economic state and system is, you probably can walk, beg, borrow, or steal enough to keep yourself going and maybe book passage to another spot. And you could also end up at a given destination for centuries at a time. Either no ship wants to go there, or you've just taken a shine to it and want to pause in your journey for a while. Maybe start a family. Heck, considering the gardenership model assumes constant regeneration of the colonist pool by having kids, if you're backtracking your path you might be bumping into your descendants on each stop. Go on long enough and the majority of that planet might be descended from you, but with life extension on the table you might easily visit a world you helped colonize 10,000 years ago and be able to stay with your actual son or daughter who stuck around there originally. Indeed an awful lot of these Gardner ships might abandon their original mission in favor of shuttling along sections of space they colonized, where the cultures are likely to be a bit more similar and where they've always got old friends and relatives, very old friends and relatives, who they can visit or turn to if there's a problem. If radical life extension is in play in the future, as it very likely will be, Odds are most colonists will still have most of their original colonists kicking around for a long time, as a small minority as more people are born, but probably a very influential minority. We can't really guess how the life of a galactic hitchhiker would go, I suspect we will have a lot of them and they need to be very adaptable. Futuristic societies are probably not going to need a lot of workers on ships or at spaceports, not with lots of automation around, but if that's so, it implies they're not really in need of payment and restrictions on easy space travel just reflect a core frugality, or security concerns. Again moving stuff through interstellar space uses obscene amounts of energy you can use for other things and which will always be a finite quantity, unless someone invents some perpetual motion machine or other bit of clock tech, our topic for next week and they might be very stingy if they're preparing for something like a post-stellar civilization like those we discussed in Civilizations at the End of Time, which we'll be revisiting in two weeks. I suspect it will always be handy to have valuable skills and personal stories to tell, as it is now. I never did the hitchhiker approach myself, I traveled a lot when I was stationed in Germany, jumping on trains and staying at random hostels, but those were always short trips while on leave. And the nice thing about being a young soldier with no family is you tend to have a decent amount of spending money. Still, it was always handy to have some skills and stories, and for a lot of the folks I bumped into on those trips, who've been doing it for months or even years and didn't have some trust fund to draw on, those were fairly vital to their ability to keep at their travels. Easier than in the past of course, Traveling bards or minstrels or craftsmen often received rather cold receptions, being viewed as troublemakers or thieves, and of course many were, and I'd imagine it will get easier in the future, or less overtly dangerous at least, but I suspect hitchhiking the galaxy will be a rather exciting experience, and not always in a good way. So it's definitely good to be prepared, have a good guide, and of course, always bring a towel.
As we noted today, it's good to have skills if you're traveling, whether it's the world or the galaxy, and the practical ones are often hard to learn from a book. If you're interested in expanding your repertoire of skills, check out Skillshare, an online learning community with over 20,000 classes covering everything from practical daily skills to things like programming, writing, or science. A premium membership gives you unlimited access to high quality classes on must-know topics so you can improve your skills, unlock new opportunities, and do the work you love. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free. To sign up, visit the link in the description and the first 500 visitors get two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for free. Act now for this special offer and start learning today. We usually limit ourselves to discussing technology that's strictly inside known physics, even if we often push the bounds of belief in terms of the sheer scale of many of our topics. Next week though we'll be examining hypothetical technologies which may operate under different physical laws, tech so advanced it is indistinguishable from magic, what we call clock tech. The week after that, we'll return to the Civilizations at the End of Time series for Dying Stars. For alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel, and if you enjoyed this episode, please like it and share it with others. Until next time, thanks for watching and have a great week.